Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for the hungry and thirsty. Do you want to find your ultimate meaning and destiny? Well, you've come to the right place. For those that are new, I just want to mention that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where I have a flipbook with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And there is a lot of the print there that is highlighted in red, which are links to amazing videos from YouTube and other places. And there's very profound videos there that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing about, which is about the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, the one true eternal God very reason for all that exists, the very reason for which you exist. And so I want to share with those that have come to know the one true eternal God, what God is saying by his spirit to the churches that are assembled around Jesus Christ. Now, for those that are new, let me mention this, that there is only one constitution of being that could possibly be the Almighty's, the creator of the universe. That is what I'm about to describe. Love in its highest, purest form, for sure. And what is that? It is agape love. As is described in First John in the Bible, God is love. Now that agape love is a love that is greater than just feelings. It always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love has such integrity and purity that it is a blazing fire of a judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. It is so pure. It is the holiness of God. It is the defensive aspect of the being of God's love, which is the very source of reality. Because if you look up the word truth in the dictionary, it describes it as being that which is real and so on. So you look up what reality is, what real is, and it says it's that which is indestructible, immovable, unchangeable, etc. And only this quality of being could be that. It is, in fact, the very opposite of corruption. It is the exterminator of corruption. It is the antithesis of corruption. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited life, power, and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative of being the very source. But it's more than just this perfection of love that has such integrity. This love is not only ultimately perfect, it is the ultimate imperfection. And that is expressed in this fact, that God's love is so great that God had always in his being from the infinite past, and remember, he is beyond time. He had always in his being a quality that could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for beings such as us that were created with free will 
in a state where we make choices through the physical dimension where there's temptation. So in a way, when we rebel, it is indirect through the physical. So it's not a direct rebellion directly against the Spirit of God, such as is the case with angels and other creations. So this love is so great that God actually came into this time and space realm in Jesus Christ and suffered on the cross, suffered more than you, a mere creature, humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could be reconciled to God. There is no love that could be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than such a love. Only this love could be worthy of being an ultimate trustworthiness, worthy to contain unlimited authority, unlimited power, and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the only one that could be constituted to possibly contain and be the source of unlimited life and power and authority. Just going to take a drink of water here. The other thing about this one true eternal God is that he must be in three personages in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. For if you are not in conscious intelligence or personage in whatever existence you're in, how can you rule over it? Obviously, you cannot. The three ultimate aspects of existence are beyond creation, beyond time and space, in creation is the second, and filling all dimensions of creation and space is the third, by being omnipresent. So God, as the Father, is in personage beyond the creation realm, seeing the end from the beginning, the word father means originator. The Son is the full expression of the Father into the creation realm as it's described in Hebrews 1.3, that he is the full expression of the Father. The word Son means expression. And so the Son is fully the being, the perfect being of God, communicating with his creation in a limited creature level realm, but fully God. Yes, God is great enough to create communicate with the creatures he's creatures he's created he is great enough to condescend and yes even so great in his love that he would suffer more than you a mere creature as i mentioned and humble himself more than you a mere creature so that you could be totally forgiven and reconciled to god and so we have the father ruling beyond time and space, the Son ruling within the creation realm and the Holy Spirit in governance and omnipresence in the creation realm, filling all dimensions of existence and beyond with the Father. So I want to share with you and with those that have come to be reconciled with this one true eternal God through Jesus Christ, his only Son. What God is saying by his Spirit to the churches and I do that by seeking to speak prophetically. 
or as the oracles of God, as it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's referring to us when we gather together around Jesus Christ, that we would allow the Spirit of God to speak through us what is beyond ourselves. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in great humility and reverence, out of great love for God in spirit and in truth, we are filled with the spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances beyond ourselves. And so I will seek in this message to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that will allow for the release of speaking as the oracles of God or prophetically. Not in the sense of necessarily telling the future, no. Just to be in that heart set and mindset of worship. One of the things I do to facilitate that is I cast lots each day that I do a message. And there are many days when I don't do the message too, but I still cast lots to get two chapters from two independent random applications on the internet that can choose any possibility of a chapter. And then those two chapters that are chosen in great reverence before God bear witness with one another. And of course, this is very scriptural. It was extensively practiced in the Old Testament. The early church used it to choose one of the apostles that took the place of Judas. It was used by powerful movements of revival in church history, such as the Moravians, who even chose their wives this way. And it says in Proverbs 16.33, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So I want to share with you the two chapters I received and also the song that I stumbled upon today. I didn't choose it so much by the casting of the lot, but I did cast lots and stumbled on another song that was more appropriate for this message. So we will go to have now the worship with the Lord of that song before I share the message on these two chapters I received. Here's the song for the day. All of these are new songs that I pick often from a hymn book of 1080 songs, many of them from the underground church in China that was heavily persecuted under the work of Watchman back in 1972, he was martyred. Okay.
how wonderful. When we know that we have been redeemed, how can we not but want to resign everything to him that has bought us with such a great love, a great price? And that is what this message today, as you will discover, is about. And so, today I received Exodus chapter 35, pardon me, my mistake, Genesis chapter 35 and Exodus chapter 15. Both of these chapters are about a great deliverance. Really, they are speaking of redemption. Because in Genesis 35, they are rejoicing that they just crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians were destroyed. Pardon me. That is not the case in Genesis 35. That is the case in the next one, which is Exodus 15. In Genesis 35, Jacob has come through this great trial where he thought Esau was going to totally destroy him and all of them. And he wrestled with the angel. And Genesis 35 is about what happened after. In both cases, it is about what happened after they came through this initial great trial in their pilgrimage. And so first of all, I want to read a little bit from Genesis 35, beginning in verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was at Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. And of course, it was soon after Jacob had this breakthrough in his life and he was free from being concerned about Esau that his sons were upset that Dinah, their daughter, was sexually taken into a relationship before marriage with the heathen inhabitants about them there. And we know what happened. They made sure that they had them all circumcised and then attacked them and destroyed the whole works of them because of what they had done to Dinah, which Jacob found repugnant that they would do such a terrible thing. But it caused a great terror upon all the inhabitants. And so Jacob comes into a place where even those about don't dare attack them because somehow God had put a tear in them, fearful for them to attack Jacob, even though he's just still a very small group. 
And so we go on and we read, So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. That was the first appearance of God. Often there is, in times of great distress and trouble, the appearance of God in our lives, in one way or another, by vision or by some means. I remember when it happened in my life in 1975. I was in great distress. There was two great pressures. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was seeking God earnestly. And at the same time as I was hungry and thirsty for God, I was under great condemnation. In fact, I felt like I was rejected by God, like Israel was kicked out of the promised line and had to go and die off in the wilderness. I felt like I was like King Saul. That was the lies the enemy was telling me at this point, just before I had this amazing open vision. At the same time, I'd been fasting and praying for three days with this small group of people seeking God and it was one in the morning and there was a number of them in the room and I'm not going to share about the vision I saw. It was very powerful. In fact, one of them in that room did experience interaction with the same vision that I was experiencing. But in that open vision that I had in 1975, it freed me from the condemnation of the enemy because the enemy was so condemning me at the same time I had been praying for weeks even before and saying, God, I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you say if we keep your commandments, you will reveal the Son. And I said, Lord, I haven't had a revelation of the Son that's anything that's really powerful. I want a revelation of you. And that night it happened. I wasn't expecting it. I felt so condemned of the enemy and my own heart was condemning and rejected of God. And here... Lord, the whole room filled with light. I mean, I was, I mean, everyone around, the, the few people that were there, besides my friend Jean, there was Ed, her husband, and another man by the name of Dennis. And I had this amazing encounter. And I don't want to go into the details of it right here for time, because this is a short message. But I saw the holiness of God. I saw the face of this lady in front of me just turn to wrinkles over time really fast and then another face appear in front of her face or within her face somehow and it was the face of a captain and there was such love in his eyes but his look was so stern and it went right through me. I also saw myself being burned at the stake and going up as a love offering to God and I was filled with rapture to know that I was his son and that I loved him. I also saw my hands as it were the hands of Christ and yet it wasn't Christ, it was me. And he said, bone, I am bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. I was so filled with laughter and joy that I was redeemed, that I was accepted of him. Because the enemy was condemning me so strongly, like the high priest described in Zechariah, I was clothed with filthy garments and the enemy was condemning me. And the Lord came along and he said, put a crown on his head and give him clean clothes. And I felt like I was 
since born again again. Although I experienced a very genuine rebirth in my life when I was 12 years old. And the other verse that God spoke to me was, again, it was like audibly very strong. He said, you are complete in him. And I knew I was his son. I knew it when I saw the Lord in his glory. And when I know, knew the experience of his love flowing through me as I was being burned at the stake as a martyr. So to speak in love for God, I was just blessed beyond words. Jacob had a vision here. He wrestled with the angel. He was hungry for God, but his name was Jacob, which means the conniver, the deceiver, he will take by the heel is the actual name. And God says here in this chapter in Genesis 35, when he comes to visit Jacob again. So this is another visitation. The first visitation, he's wrestling with the angel. But as we read on here in Genesis 35, we discover, and God appeared unto Jacob again. And he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, meaning deceiver. He will take by the heel. But Israel, he shall be a prince of God, shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy Loyans. Now, you know, after Jacob, as we continue to read here in Genesis 35, and maybe I have the full chapter up here right now. Well, I'm at Exodus 15, but I'm going to go to 35 here. Because as you continue to read here, after God appears to Jacob and changes his name here in Genesis nine tells them all of this what happens well first of all i will mention that his um the first thing that happened which was tragic was that rebecca's nurse died deborah and so he buries her and then it's when god and then after that's when god appeared to jacob the second time here but then go jacob goes on after his name is changed to Israel. And the Lord promises to him to give him the land which he, he gave to Abraham and Isaac. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. This is a theophany again. So here he wrestles with this man and he won't give him his name because his name is wonderful because his name is Yeshua. But here he is again with Jacob talking with him, just like he talked with Abraham and Abraham gave him food and so on. One of the three angels that appears in Genesis 18 and, and his name is Yahweh. Abraham addresses him as a Yahweh in Genesis 18 when he's eating with him. Just before they go to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, the third one, which was Yahweh, didn't go into Sodom and Gomorrah. He went up just like he went up from Jacob here. So Jacob sets up a pillar because it was a place where he talked with God. 
So he sets up a pillar of stone and pours out a drink offering and calls the place the house of God. But soon after that, he journeys from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labor and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said under fear not thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name Benoi, not Ben-Anai. But his father called him Benjamin, and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. So Rachel, his dear, precious wife, that he loves so much, he loses. And that must have been very painful. And then he comes and visits his father Isaac that lives to 180 years old. He outlives his even his son's daughter, Isaac. And we know what happened with Jacob that Jacob experienced the tragedy later on of losing Joseph, thinking that he was killed by those animals. So there's, after this great redemption, an ongoing process of painful loss, of dying to things of this life. But in the end, because he had always his faith in God, even when he did not understand why God was allowing it, it came back in great resurrection, a blessing in the fact that he discovered Joseph was second in command over all of Egypt, second to Pharaoh. And of course, we know the story there. And we have the same in Exodus 15. Here I will read some of the verses in Exodus 15. Then sang Moses, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus 15, and I may as well go right to the scripture here. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto Yahweh, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. See, they are desiring God to be in their midst, to inhabit them as a people, to dwell with them, and they're wanting to prepare that place for him to dwell among them, even a special place of meeting where they can gather and meet with the one true and living God, which is indicative also of what we just read about the house of Bethel, the place, the house of God, the place of God's habitation is where his people delight to be gathered around him, where his presence is. The Lord, Yahweh, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And of course, then they sing an amazing song about this victory that they just came through. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. And it goes on. And I'm not going to read everything here. But it describes how they were totally destroyed by God's judgment. And it's quite an amazing description, but for time I'm skipping it. And then we go to verse 13. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth thy people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. 
the holy habitation of God. They recognized that's where they're going. Their destiny is to dwell with God forever in his holy habitation. Even upon the earth, they were recognizing that that was what God was desiring for them. And we go on and we have Miriam rejoicing and leading everyone in a song of dance. And all the women come out with timbrels and dance and sing. And Miriam says in verse 21, And Miriam answered them, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. But then what happens? So Moses brought Israel, in verse 22, from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, that healeth thee, even as he healed the waters." Our, many of us, our souls are bitter because even though we've experienced great redemption in our lives, we are being put through an ongoing process of God's dealing in our lives and it can easily cause us to become bitter in our soul. Maybe not towards others. Maybe just not even towards God, but just bitter because why, why, why is in our mind. And we're finding it so hard as it says, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. God is trying us as gold tried in the fire to bring the dross to the surface, the things that are bitter so that they may be skimmed off. But the enemy would try to condemn us and say we're the dross, just like he did me when, just before I had that vision so strongly. Like he would say to that high priest in Zechariah, you're clothed with filthy garments and rejected by God. But we cry out and we say, God, have mercy for me. And God, have mercy on me. And he has come and he has touched us and brought us out of this death experience where there is a tendency to be better, to a place where we learn to be like a horse that is broken in and doesn't buck the rider anymore. And where do we find the waters are healed? They are healed when the tree falls into the water, which is the cross of Christ. When we let the cross totally be embraced in our soul and identify with the resurrection, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. When we embrace that, 
and we acknowledge that God is in control, that he's going to bring us through this as he did in every other experience in our pilgrimage. We come to a place where he can entrust us with his authority, with his power, and he can change our name to that which is a name, a power, an authority. He shall be a prince of God. And he is calling us to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation unto God, to be those that go forth into this world that carry such a presence and authority of God with us because of what he has done in our own lives. Look at what God has done. He has taken this vessel of clay that was so marred and he has been so patient with us to bring us over a period of many decades, maybe, to a place where no longer is that vessel empty and we feel our barrenness. And he says, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, for the one that has no children has more than the married wife. O thou that has been tossed with a tempest, I will lay thy stones. It says in Isaiah 55. And I will make them precious. And so God is wanting to bring us into a place where he builds the living stones together as an habitation of God through the Spirit. All of them are precious. They are like jewels in his crown. They have unique individuality. And we are living in the hour when the Lord wants his people, many of them that have been decades through the wilderness in pilgrimage and being put through these various things to come to the place of their destiny and fulfillment, not only individually, but corporately as his people as never before in these last days. Because his zeal in this last hour, soon before his coming, is to fulfill John 17. The zeal of his heart that we would come into such a oneness that there would be not a denominative mindset left in his people that would cause them to be divided from one another so that revival dissipates like it did in the Welsh revival, like it did in Azusa Street. But in this hour, he wants that oneness and that maturity in the body of Christ that will cause the glory that comes into our midst to ever enlarge and ever expand onto his embrace at his soon return. Are we going to be those that are in such a love relationship with him that we do not limit him? corporately as his people. Let's all be unique as congregations the way God wants to make us instead of copying whatever we came out of and becoming denominational. Doesn't mean that you can't have full identity and love with whatever you came out of. But God is wanting in this hour for us to be totally those that do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting his local assemblies. That means that we, be go, we go back to being a house of prayer and a house of holiness. And I've written a book on it called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's on Amazon by David James Thompson, my name. God, Headship, and Body Invasion. I do have another one up there called um, Evolution, Delusion, Solution. And I'm coming out with a really big and amazing book on the afterlife very shortly. I'm not going to give the name of the title of the book quite yet. But you can support me. I'm in actually very serious financial need right now. I've had to do debt consolidation and so on, or I'm in the process of it. And so I'm not going to explain it. 
why that happened. That was one of the trials in my life that had to do with me sacrificing my time for God instead of wanting to make money. But I appreciate your support by getting those books that are up there now because they have many suggestions so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. Thank you for listening to this message and please support me above all with your prayers. God bless you all.